The following podcast is sponsored by you. If you'd like to donate to help us continue providing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there, please use the link in the show notes for this episode. Proceeds from your donations will be used to pay for hosting fees, which are the most expensive ongoing part of providing this show. Thank you in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. After each game, our host George Templeton talks live on Facebook with Ram fans and gives his take on the team's performance. And now, here's George. All right, this is a special episode of Rams Rewind. First and foremost, if you like what you hear and you want to help us out, there is a link to the PayPal in the description on Podbean and your other podcast platforms. Slip us a little dinero. We really appreciate it. We thank you all season for being so generous with us uh, and doing that, and we just love your support. So, yes, we have reached Atlantic 10 Tournament Week. Brooklyn, which is the favorite site for VCU because that's where they've had by far the most success. And because we had his co-host on before the season to talk A-10 basketball and preview the season, it is only right that we now have the other half of the outstanding three-bid league pod. It's Tyra Cronin, not just of three-bid of three league, but also of Bustin Brackets, where he wrote the piece about the A-10 Media Awards that we're about to discuss. Uh, and he's got other stuff coming later in the week. The three-bid league pod, you should be following them on Twitter, three-bid league pod, and you should be listening to that podcast. They just had a great podcast with Dr. John Giannini talking about the A-10 tournament. Spent a lot of time on VCU, and we're going to spend some time on VCU and other things as well. Tyler, welcome to Rams Rewind. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, George, because that was one heck of an introduction right there. I think that I think you got clocked in at over a minute on that one. So absolutely. I, I mean, absolutely. Got to got to get it all in, and got to give it as big a flourish as we can. So let's start. We're going to start with the A10 Media Awards that that Tyler, Matt at Three Bid League, and so many others voted on. And we're going to talk about your ballot specifically before we get to how everybody balloted out. And I, I found a lot. I found probably only one real big disagreement with your ballot. But one thing that you did that some others didn't. You had two Dayton players on the first team, and I actually agree with that. Even though Dayton didn't win the league, because I and and I know I'm colored by what happened in the two VCU games. But Tamani Kamara, I just just having seen him do that to VCU twice. And some of the other games I've seen him where he's just been dominant. I know it's tough to leave. You have to leave somebody off. I don't know how you can leave him off the first team. Yeah, and look, people have thrown out the whole, oh, should Dayton get two players on the first team? They only went 12-6. and six. They didn't win the league. But sometimes you have to forget about the team element and just realize that Tamani Kamara would be the best player on at least half the teams in this league. And yeah, like VCU, obviously had the best regular season of anybody. But as a VCU fan, do you feel like someone like Jaden, like I, I do this three times a year. I call him Jaden Deloach by accident. <laughs> but, like, would you really feel like Jalen Deloach or Brandon Johns Jr. is more deserving than Tumani Kamara just because they're on a better team? Well, and I would add this too, because we, you know, the, the stat came up a few weeks ago from, I think it was, I think it was VCU Horns or it was VCU Ram Nation. VCU had seven different players lead them scoring in a conference game this year. Seven. I I challenge any team that's that's a good team where that's true this year. 
I'm sure there are some bad teams where that randomly happens, but they're like, you know, 7-11 and 11 in conference play or 4-14 and 14 or whatever. How many good teams do you see have seven different guys lead them in scoring? So, for me, it was it – was, it's no surprise that, for instance, yourself and many others have only ace first team. You had Jalen Deloach third team, which I agree with that. I think Jalen Deloach played himself into the top 15 also in part because – in conference play, he turned into a stat sheet stuffer because he's getting steals and blocks and even a few assists here and there to go with the scoring. And when he was on the floor, you know, he was productive, super productive. But I, I just – I didn't have a problem with that at all. I, my biggest disagreement is that I, would, I, I was convinced by the arguments that I think was Matt and maybe you two made about James Bishop being so efficient even though he's a high usage player, that I would have had him over Josh Duro on, in, in, on the first team. Yeah, and look, there might be a little bit of bias from me against James Bishop. I was, I, I probably disliked his game more than just about anyone who watched this league going into this year. He was a high volume, super low efficiency guy, and this year he became a high volume, high efficiency guy. He he does a lot of great stuff with the ball in his hands. I just felt like he didn't really impact the game off the ball or on defense. And now, granted, Joshua Duro doesn't exactly impact the game that much defensively either. He's a better defender than Bishop. But in the end, I it really kind of came down to the fact that George Mason did finish above George Washington. And sometimes when you're splitting hairs like that, it's that close. But the thing to remember is when the real awards come around, which I thought was going to happen today, I guess it's coming tomorrow before the games start, but... That's a six-man first team. Yeah. And the conclusion I came to is there's a pretty clear top six. So we're not going to end up having these debates when uh, when the conference puts it out. And I, and I got to say, I can't stand that. It should be five, and you have your player of the year, and he's one of the five, and that's the way it should be. I just yeah, A six-man first team, I don't know. That always, that's always bugged me. Yeah, and we got we got crap. I think it was last year because we ended up with a six man first team because two guys tied for fifth. And yeah, everyone well, we did it on purpose. Yeah, well that's 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 the one time that I can I can deal with that. The other thing I want to talk about to a lot spend a little time on is the defense team because I'm I'm sure there are gonna be a lot of VCU fans that listen to this and a lot of VCU fans that have already tweeted you, you guys and others, about the fact that by and large, it's one VCU player on all defense. It's Ace Baldwin, which is fine. What I find fascinating is when you guys had the discussion on three-bid league pot, pot, I was so happy you brought up Jaden Nunn because later in the year, Jaden Nunn was taking the toughest assignment in the backcourt. Like he, he, got, he, he got the job on Yuri Collins the other week, and I thought did a phenomenal job because, yes, Yuri Collins had eight, eight assists. He also had eight turnovers. And I think if you hold him to one-to-one, you've done a great job. But I saw him get votes. Jalen Deloach get votes. Ace, of course, got votes. And I even saw somebody vote for Jameer Watkins. And then you throw in the fact that a former VCU guard, Trey Clark, may very well end up on the all-defense team. It's just it's kind of amazing that how Mike Rhodes has been able to, to find those kinds of players that can buy into playing that kind of defense. Yeah, and by the way, someone did also slip in a vote for Nick Kern. Who, yes. Up until that St. Louis game, I was closer to voting for Kern than I was to none. Now, that ended up flipping in the end, and if we had gone second team all defense, 
Nunn is definitely on there. Kern is almost definitely on there. Jalen Deloach is probably somewhere around that 10-man cut mark. But one of the things I forgot to throw into that pod and something I probably should have led with this, this pod with, if any VCU fans are hearing this before the conference awards come out, just be ready. Brace yourself because you're not going to be happy. Like the, the distribution of awards is not going to reflect how good this team was. And the biggest issue is we've run through all these names of different guys. VCU was good because everyone was just beating their respective cross match. Your fourth best guy was always better than the other team's fourth best guy. Your fifth best guy was better than the other team's fifth best guy. And so on until you get to like Triver and Josh Banks at the end of the bench. Absolutely. And I and for me, one of the things you said that I absolutely agree with is that one of the arguments for Mike Rhodes is player development. Because again, this team did not have its stuff together in December. December was kind of a horror show in some respects. And if you'd asked me at the end of December, is this team going to go 15-3 in the conference? I'd have said, you're insane. If they if they get the top four, I'll be happy. I, I would have been thrilled with just a double bye, never mind that they went 15-3 and three and nearly went 17-1 and one in conference play. I never would have believed it in a million years. And and that's – if you want an argument for Mike Rhodes getting coach of the year, that's it. You know, this team that lost to Jacksonville in December and, that, and they had Ace Baldwin so they couldn't even use that as an excuse – you know, got run out of the building by Temple, scored 46 at Memphis. You know, it didn't – December wasn't really – wasn't too good at all. And even, you know, starting conference play, didn't play well against LaSalle, should have been trailing at halftime, and then got boat raced up at Duquesne, even though the final score doesn't say so. It's a remarkable turnaround. Although I have to admit, and I, and I maybe this is a bias of, of, you know, knowing that this guy's been around a long time and what they went through last year – for me, Keith Danbrot should be the coach of the year because I know what Keith Ergo's done is remarkable, but he was going from a good base of what Kyle Neptune did last year. I mean, Keith Danbrot had about the worst year you could possibly have without getting fired. And I just thought what he did at Duquesne was remarkable. My argument was that Danbrot was the general manager of the year. Mm-hmm. He, did, he won the summer. And it's funny because he got no headlines. The headlines over the summer were – Drew Valentine, Kim English, all the new coaches coming in. And all Keith Dambrot did was quietly put together not only a talented roster, but a roster that fit him as a coach. It's a lot of guys who fit well with his hard-nosed, loud demeanor. And so I felt like that was where he did his best job. And honestly, had they beaten Fordham in the last game to get that double bye? I would have given him a lot more thought for coach of the year. But when we start talking about two game differences and when we start comparing Dan Brott versus Mike Rhodes, who beat him by five games, then it starts, to, it starts to get kind of tough to justify a 10 and eight coach for that award. And that's, and that's fair enough. And like you, and I agree with what you said, Keith Ergo is going to win this 100% Keith Ergo is going to win this Fordham's not, hasn't had a season like this since George Bush was in office, the first one, not the second one. So there's just no way in the world it's going to be anybody but him. Now you had – I love the fact that you had David Shriver as a sharpshooter of the year because that's another turnaround. And, and it was interesting what you said, and I'd love you to expand on this for our audience. You said the reason that you felt like David Shriver didn't start out that well is that he was being used incorrectly 
and that now he's being used better. Just You talked about that on your pod. Just explain that for our listeners because I thought that was a very interesting point. So there's two pieces to this. In VCU, I watched on and off throughout the non-conference. Tough to catch uh, a team, all 13 of a team's games in this league, especially given that it's not one of my personal teams. But there's two different sets that stand out to me. First is that early season tournament, which was in the Barclays, right? Yes, yes, the Legends Classic. So not as big of an issue in the Arizona State game but the pit game especially where it felt like David Traver was the only person on the court who could actually make a shot in the second half. You're kind of going back and forth in that rock fight against Pitt, And every time someone took a three, I had zero confidence in it, but you could see Shriver's shot was so clean. I think he only made one three in that game. And the Arizona State game was the only game you guys lost where he made multiple. And obviously, Ace didn't play that night. And they and, still should have won that game against Arizona yeah, State. they still they should have. I agree. Um, although it actually it actually helps their resume that they lost because uh, playing Michigan the next day is a hell of a lot worse than playing Pitt. But you could just see right then and there, Shriver was clearly the best shooter on this team. They weren't running plays to get him open. And it makes sense. That's not part of what Mike Rhodes does as an offense. So then we fast forward to January, the Duquesne game. The only time I've seen the Rams in person this year. And I felt like David Trevor touched the ball maybe three times in that entire game. He was useless. He was just standing in the corner. They stayed home on him. VCU did not have the proper ball movement to get him open. And at that point, he was still pretty awful on defense before he kind of made the effort leap in that category. And so, like, I'm watching him. If he's not going to get open threes, especially at that point, he's just useless. He has no purpose on the floor. And we saw after that, Rhodes started to tweak the offense. There started to be more of an emphasis on cutters moving around off the ball, around getting more of these quick twitch passes, something that VCU doesn't do. And now all of a sudden, David Travers getting space. And as soon as he started getting space, he started lighting things up. Like, I would, I would defy anyone to find me a game where David Shriver missed more than half of his wide-open threes this year. It would have only been early. It would have only been early in the season. And it's funny, you, after that Duquesne game, everything you said about, about Shriver was things that fans of ours and our fan group were saying. I mean, people were livid. They're like, this guy can't play defense. He can't rebound. What the hell is he doing on the floor? We all wanted to see Fats Phillips and other players more than we wanted to see him. And the turnaround with him has been remarkable. You know, I, I believe you guys said that by making those threes in the GW game, he actually won the three-point shooting title in terms of field goal percentage. Is that right? Yeah, he was down a tiny bit going into the day, and then Tevin Brewer went over in the early game. So Shriver actually had the lead going into that last, that last GW game. But had he gone, I think, 0 for 3 or 1 for 5 or anything worse than those two, he would have actually relinquished the title back. Instead, he ends up winning it. Uh, and, the other, and, I loved, and I loved the conversation when you talked about glue guy the year. You voted for Antriel Char- Charlton, which I got no problem with. Uh, but you talked a lot about Nick Kern, and I, I couldn't think of – I don't think there's a better description for him than, than being a glue guy. Him going into the lineup absolutely changed everything. He gives us a lot of juice. 
out there. He plays with ferocious energy on the defensive end of the floor. And there certainly has been some games where he's had foul trouble, and that's, that's hurt VCU badly. Yeah, well, they need him to run that press properly. Like, it's not a coincidence he came in after the Duquesne game. And go back and look. I think it was, what, they VCU for seven turnovers in that game? And half of those, because Duquesne does this every time they play, where they have four to five turnovers every game where it's something incredibly stupid. They just, like, dribble a ball off their own foot or Quincy McGriff travels. Or a lot of their big men love to catch the ball standing on the baseline. And I think VCU legitimately had three total steals in that game. Now they go back to Nick Kern, and with him, Nunn, and Baldwin together running that press, there's no weak link whatsoever. Like, that, that's brutal. That's peak Shaka-level athleticism on the perimeter. And, and, it's, and, and you talk about – we talked about the all-defensive team. I certainly wouldn't have had anybody except maybe Ace on the all-defensive team after non-conference – but it's reflected in the defensive efficiency. And to me, you don't see these moves at the top end of the rankings. When we I, I start tracking the Ken Palm numbers about 10 games in, so it was about middle of December when I first started tracking it, they were 47th in defensive efficiency, which is way off what they were last year. Last week when I looked at it last Thursday, they were 17th. And to me, you just don't see those kind of moves in the top 50 that often because usually – the die's kind of cast on defense. If you're a really, really good defensive team, you stay up there, and it's kind of hard to fall and move up like that. And I think it absolutely reflects what you're saying about not just about Nick Kern, but it's just about how good this team's been defensively in the conference play after being, you know, down, and in, in some cases way down off what they were defensively from last year. Yeah, after the Duquesne game, and I wish I would written down the exact number because this is not the first time I've wanted this stat. But I wrote up a little piece basically saying if VCU doesn't change things, they're destined for a season in 6th, 7th, 8th place, somewhere around there. And the biggest reason at that point, their defense on Ken Palm was outside of the top 60. Like that's unheard of awful for VCU, and I just checked it. They finished out the regular season at 22. So, I mean, that that's... That's one of the things that's fueled this turnaround. And now we've reached the tournament week, so we're going to talk about the tournament. But I have to say this. Back in October, Matt and I were, were together on this pod. We were so full of hope. We were so full of optimism and expectation. And now we arrive here, and, and the question I have to ask is, what the hell happened to our conference this year? It should not have turned out like this. It's just – I can't believe we're sitting here talking about one bid. I can't believe it. I was so sure this could be a three-bid league this year. What the hell happened? That's a, that's a question that is going to require a deep answer come April, May. But the simple answer is just look at the top. Look at the best players in this league. We didn't get the emergence of new stars like we have in past seasons. All these guys who are going to finish first-team all-conference, the better guys on second-team all-conference, Holmes, Collins, Baldwin, Kamara, Bishop, Oduro, these are names we already knew. These are guys who, with the exception of Bishop, who numbers-wise was a really great player in the past, but these are guys who are already great players. Now, apologies to, to Khalid Moore on Fordham, who did make that leap and became a star. 
but we didn't see the Luka Brykovic jump. We didn't see the Vince Williams type jump. And that's what really hurt this conference, a lack of star power at the top. And then when you look at the teams in the middle and the bottom, there's a lack of quality role players. There's not many teams that really run deep this year. VCU does, Fordham does, Duquesne does. Other than that, like the spectacular seventh men don't exist in this league. And so we reach this week with everybody going for the one bid. I have to say, from the VCU perspective, I'm kind of happy with the way this bracket shook out, even though the 8-9 is very tough, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. I want to start with the other side of the bracket because you guys have both been talking about the Conference of Chaos for quite a while this season, and I totally agree with you because we've watched these teams lower down in the conference jump up and bite the big teams on the tail and bite other teams that are contenders on the tail. So I'm looking at this bottom half of the draw, and one of the, there were two really good things about the VCU win over George Washington, but the biggest one for me was pushing GW into the other side of that bracket with Dayton and Fordham and Duquesne. And, I, and, I, and maybe, it's wish, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but I feel like there could be some nuttiness down at the bottom, and I feel, I feel like it's possible that Dayton and Fordham, neither one of them could make the final. Something ridiculous is going to happen this weekend, and we need to figure out what it is. I think most people would now lean towards it being George Mason over St. Louis. George Mason almost beat them the last two times they played them, and everyone's calling for that now to the point that I don't think that that's wild anymore. So it's, it's got to be somewhere, whether it's Duquesne bouncing back from getting annihilated by Fordham and coming back and beating them in a building that, by the way, it's becoming very clear is going to be packed with Fordham fans that night. They're going to sell out their student tickets like 48 hours before the game. Maybe it's GW beating Dayton again. Remember, the Colonials crushed them this year. Got up 20 in the first half, never looked back. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Dayton's going to have a better game plan this time, and I think they actually match up really well with them. But we got to be on the lookout for something. Maybe it's a it's a bottom three, bottom four team making a run to the quarters. Maybe it's VCU losing to Davidson or St. Bonaventure. Like there's, there's going to be a signature, what the hell just happened before Thursday comes to a close? Well, I, I, I'll be honest. When we, when we were talking, when, when, we, when it was whittled down to Davidson, St. Bonaventure, St. Joe's, or LaSalle as the 8-9 when we got to after Friday night, most of, my, most of the members of my group did not want to play St. Bonaventure for obvious reasons. Davidson was my choice because of the fact that the first game they got up on us 10 or 12 nothing. Then we buried them a bunch of, a bunch of, a, under a bunch of threes. And then in the second game, we had to steal it in the last 20 seconds with Ace's great jumper before he goes nuts at St. Louis. Um, that's going to be tricky. And Mike Rhodes, one postseason win away from the Siegel Center in his tenure, and that was in his first year. That's what scares me more than anything, is that he's got to prove that they can that he that, it, that he can take VCU away from the Siegel Center and win these games. And I and I never and those early tips are always tough at a tournament because it's a half empty arena if you're lucky, maybe quarter full. So you gotta have your own fans kind of make some noise to generate some energy. And I think what we've seen is this this VCU team kind of feeds off 
a loud crowd, maybe a hostile crowd. They're not going to get that in this game. So I am a little worried. I am worried about the 8-9. I feel very good about things once they get beyond that, but that 8-9 is tough. Now, I, I will say you throw out the road stat there, but there's really only two coaches left who have had great success in this tournament. That's Travis Ford and Mark Schmidt. Like, Anthony Grant's never made the finals. Keith Dambrot's only won one game. Keith Ergo's just showed up. Kim English is 0-1. Bob McKillop dominated, but we've never seen Matt McKillop. The other guy who had been great was Chris Mooney, but obviously he's out dealing with his health issues. Like, Archie Miller made one final, I think maybe two, but he's never won it. Like, there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of coaches who have a lot to prove this week. Well, I, I feel good once they get beyond that because I feel like they can beat St. Louis a third time. I know St. Louis beat Dayton, and that was like the nail beating the hammer because that's the way that rivalry's been. But part of me wonders if, 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 Dayton was a little bit had their foot off the pedal because they couldn't go up, they couldn't go down. You know, they they maybe they were a little more focused on the on the tournament. I also think is is there anything that it, would it be so crazy if Richmond got all the way through there if they upset Mason and St. Louis? Because I don't think it would be. I think so. I, I think I'm kind of I'm kind of trending out on Richmond. Okay, like they played their last great card in the Fordham game where they went small, closed out the game with Bigelow, Grace, and Burton together, and they were too quick for Fordham. That's the only game that the that those Rams have lost since mid-January other than the loss to VCU. And they're just kind of out of chess moves. Like, they were switching up the point guard situation. They just came back to the fact that Jason Nelson's their best option there anyway. Burton shot the ball really poorly from three in conference play. They don't have Mooney. Like, that, that's got to mean something. For me, the, the bold prediction that I'm beginning to toy with is the idea that actually UMass is going to not only beat Richmond, but also upset George Mason. Mm. I'll go on the record and say right now, I think George Mason either loses to UMass in their first game or they get all the way to the semis. And I'm not going to pick them to beat VCU, but I think they'll give the Rams a much better game than what we've been used to in the last few years of that battle. Well, VCU's one of the other things that's helped VCU this year is they got lucky with other teams' injuries or kicking players off the team right when they were going to play them. And they didn't have to deal with Ronald Polite when they played George Mason. And it showed George Mason's backcourt was a mess in that game. Ticket Gaines was awful. And, you know, Josh Aguro, they they've had a habit of getting him in foul trouble. So yeah, I can I, I actually can see that's interesting that you have UMass because that, you know, Man, we were so excited about UMass when they won that tournament. And I know the Noah Fernandes injury and, and other things have happened. Uh, Matt Cross got injured too. But it really that's, – that's a team that shouldn't have been that far down. But I know they've had a lot of bad luck. Yeah, and look, they were dead in the water. Frank Martin was losing his mind every time he came to the podium. And then after their big losing streak, he finally backed up his complaints by changing up his lineup. He went out and called out the guys that he felt were properly working hard. And those are the players that have been playing big minutes the last four games. They're 2-2 two and two in that time. The losses at Dayton, fine, who cares? And then at Duquesne. 
So they've lost to two pretty good teams since then. The biggest thing is they unexpectedly got Matt Cross back already. It looked like he was about to be done for the season. And look, I, I still don't feel great about UMass without Fernandes, but if he's the only guy they're missing and the fact that they're kind of figuring out their rotation for the first time all year, RJ Louise is, is beginning to ascend towards superstardom next season. I don't think it's crazy at all that they'll beat Richmond. Um, I haven't seen the line on that game yet. I actually think UMass should be a slight favorite, but George Mason's a team that tends to ebb and flow so much. Like UMass could definitely catch him off guard. UMass has caught a few people off guard this year, but that's that's been the story of this conference is like Richmond jumped up and beat St. Louis. U, UMass has caught a couple of teams. Uh, you know, St. Bonaventure doesn't win a road game and then beats DCU with Richmond back-to-back and then beats Dayton. You know, LaSalle goes to St. Bonaventure and wins when St. Bonaventure was hot. Rhode Island should have beat VCU. It's like I can't remember a time when the bottom of the conference has been this much trouble for the top of the conference. Yeah, well, lost in all of the, oh, the A-10's so bad discussion is that the bottom's actually better than normal. We don't have the typical Fordham horrific season. Obviously, we didn't have that last year either, but instead we had a historically awful Duquesne season instead. Like, I I don't think Rhode Island's that good without Freeman. Loyola has a lot of talent, but they've just proven at this point this team really doesn't work. But, like, those are still better than what we're used to for the basement teams. All right, so let's start, let's start with some predictions here. Where, where are you leaning in terms of who the final is going to be on, on Sunday at 1 o'clock? It's tough because we know it's certainly not going to be chalk. And every, every instinct I have just kind of looking at how these matchups break down tells me that it actually should be Dayton against VCU. Although, I, I'm, I'm, I will say this right now. I think at this point, this season's been so crazy that the craziest thing that could happen is that the finals is just Dayton VCU. But, God, I'm torn here. I don't, I, I just, I don't want to pick George Mason to make the final. They're getting too, they're getting too much hype right now. Like I, I was listening to the A10 Insider Pod today, and Rob Doster and Matt McCall both picked George Mason to win the tournament. They're wow. the five seed for God's sake. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll go completely off the reservation here. I'm going to say Dayton Davidson. Oh wow! Because Dayton just matches up so well against Fordham and Duquesne. Like this, this draw could not have happened more perfectly for the Flyers. And if they're engaged those first two games, they should make their way through. I don't believe in St. Louis. I've never believed in St. Louis as one of the best teams in this conference. They're right where they should be in fourth. So if I'm going to make a bold pick, I'll go ahead and take Davidson here. They've come on strong as of late. Don't go back and listen to my predictions throughout the year. I've picked (laughs) Davidson far too high, both in the preseason and before the conference tournament. You know what? Screw it. Let's ride it again. Well, it's perfect because you don't want to pick chalk, but as you rightly say, after all the craziness, it leading to a chalk final. Let us suppose for a moment that it is Dayton VCU. 
you talked about game of the year, and it's interesting because you know one of you voted for the first day, Dayton VCU game being the game of the year, and in terms of significance, I agree with that because to me, if Dayton wins that game as they should have, being up sixteen, I don't think Dayton, I don't think VCU finishes anywhere near fifteen and three, and I think they might be about third or fourth in this league. Dayton's probably the, maybe even the runaway. Maybe they go fifteen and three because Dayton definitely had a hangover from that. Took them a while to get over it, and then they started playing well. Second game was kind of classic because it was just after the St. Bonaventure game. It was the same thing. VCU started well. To me, they had a chance to put Dayton away. They didn't. And Dayton was absolutely heroic. Five guys basically playing the entire game. How do you feel about a Dayton-VCU final if that's what happens? I give the slight edge to Dayton. It, it's a good matchup. They, they're another team like Duquesne. They turn the ball over a lot, but with the exception of Kobe Elvis, their turnovers are because of their own stupidity. It's not because they can't beat a trap. Like you can't take the ball off of Malachi Smith against the press. You, it's really hard to actually take it off of Mike Sharf jobs, which people don't realize. And we really learned in that second VCU game. The Kobe Bray is an incredibly confident ball handler as well. I think VCU is going to struggle to force turnovers. We've seen that Dayton can really exploit Brandon Johns defensively. They gave the ball to Kamara. They let him cook in those games because Deloach is one of the tougher battles for Deron Holmes. And not only that, but VCU is just so good at dropping the double at the right time. And Holmes was basically neutralized both of those games. But it's a Tamani Kamara wrecking ball matchup again. On offense, he he actually has done a great job against Ace Baldwin. Dayton's one secret bugaboo this year defensively is they struggle against very fast guards. Ronald Polite killed them. Brayon Freeman, we were still on Rhode Island, killed them. The, the fast guards on NC State killed them. But Ace... Just he's just got that notch less of speed than those guys. He's a little bit more physical with them, and he can't play the physical game with Kamara. And so that's that's the one point guard who's kind of a good match for Dayton. Man, I I I think I, if if it hadn't been for the fact that VCU came back to win that game at Dayton. I'd sit here and say, you know what? They should have won the second game. They didn't. It wasn't like last year where they won the miracle first game and then Dayton just blew them out of the water. So better than last year. They they ought, But it felt like to me that, that Dayton's season turned back around in the positive direction when they won at VCU. And that VCU gave them, kind of gave them life and re-energized them. And I know they lost that games after that. Fine, whatever. That that. I, the thing that worries me and the thing that I always also keep coming back to is what you and Matt have said on other pods, which is true, is that Dayton's best probably is better than everybody else's best. It is. I still fully believe that. We just never see it for more than one game at a time. Well, how can you when you have injuries and those kinds of, all the kinds of things that have happened to Dayton this year? So, you know, we'll see what happens with this tournament. Uh Tyler, this has been great. Thank you for coming on and joining us. Anything you want to plug, all, you know, Twitter account, Twitter accounts, 
I know busting brackets. Anything else you want to plug, have at it. Thank you for coming on. This has been terrific. Yeah, thank you for having me, George. I mean, if people are looking for me on Twitter. Most of my A10 relevant thoughts are going to come at the number three bid league pod. You can also follow my personal account. I'm at T-C-R-O-S. Sorry, T-C-R-O-N-S, 2-1. Um, that's going to be more your Pittsburgh sports. Uh, March Madness, I'll get tweeting about other stuff going on, college basketball, NBA playoffs, that kind of stuff. Uh, if anyone's interested in stuff around the conference, keep an eye out on busting brackets. Not definite, but most likely on Wednesday morning, there will be a big story from me related to Fordham and their fantastic season. Um, if you're looking for some good reading material, though, during this tournament, the piece from a few weeks ago on there about the leadership that's really fueled Duquesne this year. It's a few weeks old, but other than the fact that I referenced that they're chasing a top four spot, it's not aged at all. It's all still completely relevant. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, go listen to the pod. You mentioned earlier, we had Dr. John Giannini on last week. He gave us some great insights for the A-10 tournament. All of that stuff is still 100% relevant. He's one of the best guests that you can possibly have on in this league. So I would highly encourage everyone to go listen to that, even before doing any of the other stuff that I've just told you about. Yes, and as always, you know, support support and listen to the 3-Bid League pod. I, I know it, you guys get a little embarrassed when I say it, but it's true. It is the flagship pod of the Atlantic 10. There's no question about that, in my opinion. Uh, and you guys do such a great job and get such great guests on, and I and I think it's fantastic. And I'm I've enjoyed listening to it this year, and I'm going to enjoy listening to it from time on. It's been it's been great to it's been a great pod, and it's just great does a great job covering our conference. All right, folks, 11:30 a.m. VCU. I'm probably going to be working, so no live pod in the good and the bad and the ugly group. That's our that's our Facebook group that I'm in. Uh, VCU by the numbers coming out Wednesday. Bracket positions, Ken Palm, net, notes, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, probably not a live pod on Thursday, but it'll be dropping Friday, the, the pod, in, uh, for everybody to listen to, post with post-game thoughts after I rewatch the game and all that sort of stuff. And then, of course, pods, hopefully after games on Saturday and Sunday, but we'll see about that. Thank you all for listening. Have a great night, everybody. Talk to you next time. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. We'll be back after the next game, and thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.